0: Well, I'm going to jump into the sermon here in just a moment. But before I do that, I I did want to highlight one quick announcement, just to make sure this is on your radar. Coming up this week, so this coming Friday the tenth and Saturday the May eleventh, we are going to be having our spring conference, and so I am really excited about this, guys. We've asked Pastor Joel Seymour. He's been a vineyard pastor for over 20 years. He's the pastor of the, at the Lancaster Vineyard to come and to speak, and he's going to be speaking on how we might better hear the voice of God. So this is going to be relevant for, for I, would, I would argue, all of us, that all of us here who would, who would say that we're, we're trying to follow Jesus would, would say that we want, to, we want to learn how to better hear his voice, both as we're, we're seeking God through prayer and, 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 and through our, our Bible reading and our own devotional times and as we pray for others. And so he's going to give us some really practical steps on how we might better hear God's voice and and, and bring some really helpful teachings. And so I'm going to really encourage you to come out to this. It's Friday night at 7 p.m., Friday at 7, and then we're going to be meeting again Saturday morning, the 11th, at 9 a.m. from about 9 to noon. We're going to squeeze in two sessions there from 9 to noon. And as I said last week, it is completely free. It's completely free, tell your friends, bring your mom, it's Mother's Day weekend, and uh, we are going to be taking an offering on on Saturday morning just to offset some of the costs of the conference, and so make sure you come prepared for that. So this Friday, this Saturday, guys, it's called Learning to Hear, that's the name of the conference. I'm just just really excited to see what the Lord is going to do. All right, let me jump in. This morning we're going to be looking at a very familiar story, guys, perhaps one of the... The the most famous stories in all of the Bible, and it's the story of, of Daniel in the Lion's Den from Daniel chapter six. But I, I have to share here on the front end, I have no interest in walking through the usual progression of this story. Because as I, I read through this chapter this week as I was preparing for this message, I was struck by one verse in particular in this, in this passage or in this chapter. This is what we read in Daniel chapter 6 verse 28. It just happens to be the last verse in the entire chapter. This is what we read. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus. Now here's why this is significant to me. It's because Daniel lived in a culture that was very similar to ours. As as a young teen... He was taken captive by the Babylonians. He was moved from his home in Jerusalem, and he was taken to the land of Babylon after Jerusalem was ransacked and conquered by the Babylonians. And while in Babylon, Daniel lived in a a pluralistic, idolatrous society that was antagonistic to the God of his ancestors, that was antagonistic to the God of the Israelites. And yet... Despite this reality, despite the trauma that he, that he inevitably endured as a young teen being taken from his homeland, we're told he prospered. And this doesn't simply mean that Daniel prospered financially in the way that we would often use the word prospered. He prospered in every sense of the word. He prospered in his relationship with God, remained faithful to God throughout his life. He prospered in his relationship with others. He was favored, well thought of by his, by his king, and by others. And certainly he prospered vocationally as well. As we were about to read in, in verse 3, Daniel is on the verge of being, being named ruler over the entire kingdom. Prospered in his relationship with God. Prospered with others. Prospered vocationally. And so the, the question presented before us today is this. How did Daniel prosper in Babylon? Because this wasn't something he that occurred over a week or a year. This occurred over his lifetime. You know, almost every commentator agrees that by the time that we get to Daniel chapter 6, the passage that we're going to be reading today, by the time Daniel is thrown into the lion's then he would have been in his early 80s. In his early 80s. Remember, he he came to Babylon as a young teen. That's that's how we're introduced to Daniel in chapter 1. But by this point, he's been in Babylon for almost 60 years. And so the, the, the children Bible depictions of Daniel as this young boy in the lion's den, it, it always kind of kills me inside because almost every commentator would say that that's, that's not what it was like for our, our buddy Dan. He was an elderly man. He was in his early 80s when he was thrown into the pit and placed before the lion's So again, the the question is, how how did Daniel prosper in Babylon? How was he able to remain faithful to God and well-respected by others in the midst of a a pluralistic, sin-soaked culture? And and as we answer this question together, my my prayer is that we might glean some insight as as to how we might prosper and remain faithful to God in our own context. But before we dig in today, why why don't we pray. And so why don't you pray with me one last time. God, we we recognize that, that we are part of a culture that does not look entirely different from Daniel's. We're part of a culture that is often antagonistic towards your aims and your values. We're part of a culture in which pluralism thrives and every individuals seems to have their own ideas as to what the good life looks like or what faithfulness to God looks like. And so would you make us a people in the midst of, of our current context who would be faithful to you? Would you help us to be individuals who prosper, that you might be glorified, God, and that you might use us to expand your kingdom? Please, God, put power on my words now. Please help me to preach this text as I should in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6. As I say, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. So here's what we read. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it is something to do with the law of God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next thirty days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Amen. Now, that was a lot. It was a lot of reading just there. I kind of sped through it. And so, let me, let me offer the Cliff Notes version of what we just read. So, we're in Daniel chapter 6, and we're introduced to this man named named Daniel, who's risen through the political ranks in in Babylon, and he's on the verge of being named the ruler of the entire kingdom, second in command only to the king. Well, this does not sit well with Daniel's political peers or opponents, and so they they devise a scheme in in which they conspire together to look for dirt on Daniel. So they comb through his life looking for dirt, looking for anything that might disqualify him from this new post. And yet, because he's a man of integrity, they just can't find anything. So they devise a new scheme, and they, they determine that they're going to go to the king and say to the king, why don't, you, why don't you issue a new edict that for the next 30 days, no one can pray to any god or any man in this entire kingdom outside of you. So this pleased the king. This pleased King Darius. Probably stroked his ego a bit. And so he issued the decree. And Daniel, knowing full well the consequences of his actions, defied the decree of the king and continued to pray by his window in the upstairs room of his home, facing Jerusalem and asking for God's blessing on the people of God. Now when the satraps, the political opponents of of Daniel, saw that he continued to pray, they had laid a trap for him, they were waiting in anticipation for that very moment, they they went to the king and they said, look, our, our buddy Daniel, he's, he's got to be thrown to the lion's den. The king, even though he loved Daniel, even though he thought highly of him, his hands were tied. And so reluctantly, he was forced to, to send Daniel to the lion's den. And most of us are aware of how this story plays out. Daniel gets sent into the lion's den. Remember again, he's, he's in his early 80s at this point. But the angel of the Lord comes. God sends an angel miraculously And this angel shuts the mouths of the lions so that Daniel is not harmed. And when the king finds Daniel unharmed in the morning, he proceeds to to throw Daniel's political opponents to the lions instead, along with their wives and children. Not the story for the faint of heart. I I don't know how some of these stories get into children's Bibles, if you think about it. But not only that, but we're also told that... uh, that the king issued another edict, another decree, in which he declared that throughout his entire kingdom, the God of Daniel, God of the Israelites, was to be shown reverence throughout the entire kingdom, which is pretty remarkable, considering his, his previous edict had been that they had to worship him and him alone. This is a story of chapter 6 in a nutshell, guys, but But again, the question that presses us this morning is this. How did Daniel prosper in Babylon? That's the question I want to tackle now. And so let me begin with my first point. To begin, Daniel prospered in Babylon by living with integrity. Living with integrity. Let's look at verses 4 and 5 again. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of God. So these enemies of Daniel, these bureaucrats who were envious of Daniel's prominence, they, they go digging for dirt on our boy Daniel. And despite their, their digging, they just can't find any. They can't find any misappropriation of funds. They can't find any abuse of power. They can't find any skeletons in his closets. And I just, I wonder, I wonder how many of us could say that this would also be true of us. That if others went digging for dirt in our lives, if others had access to our internet history, could comb through our, our internet browser history that they would be able to say, I just can't find anything of significance of note. If others had access to our bank accounts, that they would be able to say, I just can't find any red flags. If others had access to the transcripts of our conversations that we've had over the last week, that they would be able to say, I just can't find any, any dirt. There, there's a prayer I, I once heard that has haunted me for several years now, and it goes like this. It's a very simple prayer. Here's the prayer. It says, please, Jesus, let the people closest to me have the most respect for me. I don't remember the prayer's origin now. I don't remember where I first heard it, but I think about this prayer often because may the, may the people closest to me may have the most respect for me. I think about it often because I think that this prayer gives us a really clear picture of true integrity. Because this prayer is essentially saying this. Would the people who have the most access to my speech, have the most access to my habits, to the way that I utilize my free time, would they have the most respect for me because of my choices than than those who, who only see my life from a distance? Would the people who see me when I'm really low see me when I'm struggling with disappointment, when I'm walking through unanswered prayer, when I'm sick, when I've had bad sleep, would they have more respect for me than the people who, who simply aren't privy to these vulnerable moments in my life? Perhaps you can remember a time in your life in which you admired someone from afar, You admired someone from afar because they were a leader in the church you were attending, or maybe they were an executive in the company you were working for. And and over time, through a series of of circumstances, you were able to develop a closer relationship with this person. You were able to to begin rubbing shoulders more frequently with this person, with this leader in the church, or with this executive in your company. And, And perhaps you found that as you began to learn more about them, as you began to see them interact in more intimate ways, that, that your respect for them began to actually decrease. That as, as you got to know them, as you got to, be, to see their real character, that you found that, that much, of their, much of their character, much of their, their integrity was actually just a facade. That beneath the service lurked pride, or envy, or anger, or hypocrisy. But you know, a person of integrity, they they produce the exact opposite effect on us. You you might see someone with integrity from afar, and you might develop a modest respect for them. But then, as as you begin to to get to know them even better, then as you get to, to see them interact with their kids, or, or see the way in which they handle disappointment, or see the way in which they handle unfair criticism, you, you begin to say, man, I, the, the more I get to know this person, I, I just I have all the more respect for them. This is the result of, of interacting with a person of, of real integrity. Uh, on Thursday night, we, we had a, a pretty interesting experience in the Root household. At 12.30 at night, while all of us were asleep, my wife and my, my son, all six of the smoke alarms in our house began going off at the same time. I didn't, I didn't know, because we just moved into our house in September, that our, our smoke detectors were connected via wiring in our house, so that when one of them goes off, all six of them go off and I also didn't know that, that because they were, they were wired together, they didn't run on batteries. You know, I, I was used to, to the reality of if a f- smoke alarm's going off, you can't turn it off, you just take out the battery that's done. Well, th- these things don't run on batteries. So it's 1230 at night, and all of a sudden, every smoke alarm in our, our house is going off, and we do not know how to shut them off. And I don't know if you've ever heard six smoke detectors go off simultaneously, but it is quite loud. And they they weren't beeping once, you know, like when you need to change the battery. I mean, mean, they were shrieking every five or ten minutes. And of course, you know, my son's freaking out. He's crying. He doesn't know what's going on. He's like, why am I up? I'm like, I'm feeling the same thing. Why am I up? And, And it... I was sure our entire neighborhood had to be up because these things were so loud, surely our neighbors heard. And we didn't know what to do. So for the next hour, I'm on a ladder just checking these smoke detectors and, and just furiously looking at Google and trying to figure out what could be the problem. And you know, it, it's, in, it's in these moments. When it's 1.30 in the morning, and your kid is crying, and you're standing on a ladder in his room, feeling hopeless, feeling like you have no clue what you're doing, it's in these moments where it's really helpful to have a refrain running through your head. God, may the people closest to me have the most respect for me. May the people closest to me have the most respect for me because I, Father, am about to lose my mind. This, this ladder is about to go out the window. Because it's, it's really easy to come on a Sunday morning and, and, and look or even feel pretty holy, isn't it? It's really easy when you're well caffeinated and you're, Got your nice new clothes on and you're ready for church to feel, to look pretty holy. Particularly, you know, if you have a mic in your hand and you've been tasked with preaching God's Word. But Sunday morning, it just doesn't give us an accurate picture of someone's integrity, does it? Now, now spoiler alert, I'm not there yet. And I have not arrived at a place where I could say the people closest to me have the most respect for me. I mean, if you want to talk to my wife, Celeste, after the service, if, if you got the time, she's got the stories of ways in which I've just acted an absolute fool. And so I, I'm, not, I'm not there yet. I, I have not arrived. But this is, this is what I'm, I'm shooting for. This is my target. This is the path that I'm trying to run down, that the people closest to me, my coworkers, my family, my closest... Ref- Friends would, would have the most respect for me because they're, they're given a front row seat into the choices that I'm, I'm making. That, that's what it looks like to have integrity. And, and because I, I know you're, you're, you're dying to know, let, let me just finish the story. So it turns out as I was doing my furious Googling that I, I found out that sometimes if a little insect gets into one of your smoke detectors that they can set these things off every five minutes, as, as uh, was ex- experienced in our household, and, and so miraculously, my wife just happened to be up on the ladder, and she was looking through the smoke detector, and this little guy was in there, and so my wife, who is a hero, <laughs> was able to coax this little insect, centipede or whatever it was, out of the smoke detector, and uh, we were able to go back to sleep at 1.45 or 2 in the morning, whatever time it was. And I'm just, I'm so thankful. I mean, it just happened that the very smoke detector we were looking at had the insect. Otherwise, we'd probably still be trying to figure it out. Tom would be back from vacation and preaching now. Daniel was able to prosper in Babylon, guys, because he lived a life of integrity. His enemies combed through his entire personal life, and they could find no dirt on him. And while Daniel's integrity, had certainly won him no friends among his political opponents, in the least it engendered their respect. And so that may this also be true of us. May the people closest to us have the most respect for us. Secondly, Daniel prospered in Babylon by living a life of consistency. That's my second point for us today. Lived a life of consistency. Let's look at verse 10 again. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Now, the key phrase in this this verse is, just as he had done before. In fact, if if you have your Bible with you, I, I would go ahead and underline that little phrase, just as he had done before. Why was Daniel able to continue praying even as he faced the threat of of physical harm? It's it's because he had built up a habit of praying this way for years. His prayer muscles had already been built up so that continuing the same course of action just came naturally to him. Daniel passed the test, you see, because he had been preparing in advance. Look, if you want to be a person who relies on the promises of God found in the Bible when when life gets really hard, you want to be a person who, who relies on the, the promises of the Bible instead of turning to whatever distraction is your distraction of choice, entertainment or food or or some particular sin. You want to be a person who handles disappointment well and instead turns to the Bible for support, then, then you need to be a person now before the disappointment arrives who's reading your your Bible. You need to be a person now who who actively has your nose in God's book and is internalizing the promises of God. If you're waiting for the disappointment to arrive before you become a person who, who, who looks at the Bible, you, you're just waiting too late. You want to become a person who who can receive terrible news and yet turn to God in prayer, then you need to become a person of prayer now. You need to allow prayer to become the default response of your life now before the bad news arrives. You want to to become a person who can receive unfair criticism or slander and yet not feel the need to respond in kind and yet not feel the need to to slander your accuser right back, not feel the need to gossip about your accuser right back, not feel the need to to level empty accusations back back at your accuser, then right now you need to make a commitment. I am am not going to speak poorly of others when they're not present. You need to resolve in your heart right now that I'm just not going to go there. I am not going to engage in office gossip just not going to speak poorly of others. I am making a commitment to God so that when that unfair criticism arises, when you are slandered by a coworker, by a family member, your default response will be to say, I am not going to speak poorly of others when they're not present. I'm going to respond in grace and with warmth. Because... Uh, If you are hoping for willpower in the moment to help you pass the test of your life, you will have waited too late, too late. Do you know this? Do you know this? The decisions that you are making right now in the spring of 2019 are determining whether or not you're going to pass the test six months from now, possibly even six years from now. Do you know that? Daniel was able to pass the test and defy the king's edict, not because he was able to muster up a tremendous amount of willpower in the moment. I want you to get this. But because he was simply continuing his default practice of praying three times a day that he had been doing for years. This was not an act of great willpower. He was able to pass the test because he had been preparing in advance for years. And so let me say it again because it bears repeating. The decisions that you are making right now in the spring of 2019, the way that you're spending your time, the way that you're spending your money, the habits that you are cultivating currently in your life, these habits are determining whether or not you are going to pass the tests in your life six months from now or perhaps even longer and further down the road. Lastly, and this will be my last point, Daniel prospered in Babylon by refusing to compromise. Refusing to compromise. He prospered because of his consistency, and he prospered because of his refusal to compromise. Let's read verse 10 one last time. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem, Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Now what's astounding to me, as I read this verse, is that Daniel just didn't decide to pray away from the window. I mean, that would be my default response here. It's like, well, okay, it looks like for the next 30 days I'm just praying in my bedroom, right? I'm just going to make my closet a prayer closet, just going to pray away from the window. I mean, that seems like a a pretty rational response here. You could go before your God and and say, God, you you know that I love you. You you know that you're my king. But for the next 30 days, I'm just going to pray away from the window. Maybe you double your prayer time. You know, I'm I'm going to make up for it. And and think about how easy it would have been for Daniel to justify doing this. Because let's not forget, we're told in verse 3 that he was about to be be named ruler over the entire kingdom, second in command only to King Darius. So how easy would it have been for him to come to God and say, look, God, you know I'm about to be made ruler of this entire kingdom. You know all the good that I am about to be able to, to do when I step into this role. How many people I'm going to be able to help once, once I'm given this position. And so for the next 30 days, God, I'm just going to chill. I'm just going to chill. I'm just going to back away from the window just going to pray in my bedroom. I'm still going to pray, but I'm, I'm just going to chill because of the calling that you have on my life. And, and I'm sure had Daniel gone to his friends and said, hey, what, what do you think I should do here? I, I would imagine his friends would have said, look, Dan, look, Danny, she's got 30 days, man. In 30 days, you're going to be named ruler of this entire kingdom. Just, just chill for 30 days. But instead, Daniel refused to compromise, just refuse. He continued to pray in full view of those around him, in front of his window, looking out towards Jerusalem. And he continued to pray because it was an act of defiance. It was a way of saying to the watching world that I I will not be told how I can worship my God, my King. I, I fear no man, but simply fear the Lord. It was an act of defiance. But secondly, it was an act of obedience as well. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 30, the Israelites are told that should they ever be taken captive because of their disobedience, that they are to turn and to face Jerusalem and pray towards Jerusalem from their place of captivity, that God might restore his people back to their land. And they're, they're told in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 30 to to pray towards Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the place where God's very presence dwelt within the temple. So this was an act of obedience. First Kings chapter 8, verse 30, it would have been, would have been on Daniel's mind as he prayed towards Jerusalem. God, that I am longing for you to come and, and to restore your people back to our lands that you might be glorified. Now listen, at every stage in our life, we will always be offered an opportunity to pursue just a little bit less than what's being asked of us. Do you know that? You will often, always, I would argue, be, be offered an opportunity to pursue just a little bit less than what's being asked of you. And so you will be tempted to say things like this. Yes, I, I, I felt like God was asking me to start or, or to to join in with this ministry here at the church. I felt like God was asking me to finally get involved, to serve regularly with this team, to be a blessing in this city, to be a blessing to others. But what if I just committed God to praying for that team, you know, when they come to mind? You're going to be tempted to say things like, yes, I felt like God was leading me, encouraging me to finally start it meeting with a Christian counselor, to start working through some of my anxiety, to start working through some of my anger issues. But what if, what if I I just committed God to reading this book on anxiety that I found at the library instead? Or if you're honest, what if I committed God to reading half of this book I found on anxiety at the library instead? You're going to be tempted to say things like, yes, I felt like God was asking me to tithe, to give 10% of my gross income to the church as an act of worship, as an act of recognizing that everything that I've been given has been given me to God. But God, what if I just gave a little bit more regularly? 10% is a lot, God. Have you seen my paycheck? Have you seen 10% of that? What if I just committed to giving a little bit more? The option to pursue just a little bit less than our calling is always in front of us. John Tyson is a pastor I I really respect. He's a pastor in New York. He says this. He says, We will always be offered an attractive alternative from Satan. He offers us a low-cost option for a high-cost call. Satan is always trying to trade us a low-cost option instead of our, our high-cost calling. Friend, if you want to prosper in a God-defiant culture, you want to have an influence on others for the good, then there has to be this refusal, this refusal in your spirit to compromise. May we, like Daniel, never settle for a low-cost option instead of a high-cost call. For, for Think how much is at stake here. I, I mean, what would have... Been lost had Daniel simply settled for the lower cost option. What would have happened had Daniel just said, you know what, I'm going to chill for the next 30 days, and then 30 days from now, I'm going to step into my, my new position and I'm going to help a lot of people? Well, had, had Daniel pursued that, that route, then he would have never been thrown in the lion's den. He would have never seen God's miraculous intervention, and most importantly, The king of the Babylonians, this pagan king, would have never issued a decree that the entire land had to show reverence for Daniel's God. And the same is true for us, of course, isn't it? How much more could God do through our lives if we refuse to settle for a low-cost calling? So is there a high-cost call on your life right now? Is God asking you to engage in a way, to serve in a way, to surrender in a way that feels a little exciting to you, but ultimately just feels really costly? My my encouragement to you is to pursue that calling with vigor. With vigor. Refuse to compromise. That God might use you to bring glory to his name. Why don't we stand? <laughs> is that my mom clapping for me? Hey, Mom. Hey, mom. Happy Mother's Day. I'm going to invite the band up. Well, the way that we close our services here is we, we create some space for us to to respond to God's word, to respond to the message. And in just a moment, I'm going to invite a few different groups to pray. And as I say every week, you know, if, if you want prayer for anything, we want to pray for you. But there's a few groups in particular in light of this message I would love to receive prayer. And so if you are on our prayer ministry team, if you've been trained to pray, I'm going to encourage you to head to either side of our stage right now. And there's a few groups in particular that I, I would... I would love to receive prayer today. And by the way, you know, hopefully we'll have enough people on, on the wings, but should, should you ever come forward and, and not find a person readily available to pray for you, we will find someone to pray for you. So please don't allow that to dissuade you. But if you're trained to pray, we'd, we'd love to have you come forward. But there's a few groups in particular I'd love to respond. Number one... You know, I, I started off this, this message by talking about the need for integrity. And some of us here would say, you know what, if I'm honest, I'm just making some choices right now that, that I, I know don't line up with God's will for my life. I know that if someone combed through my life, combed through my conversations or my internet browser history, it would not go well for me. And so if that's where you're at today, we just want to pray that God would meet you. We're not going to give you some lecture. We're not going to offer you the five-step plan you need to, to pursue to have integrity. We're just going to pray that God would, would meet you where you're at and, and help steer you back in the right direction by His grace. You know, I've had times in my, my life where I, I I've thought, you know, I just would love to get to a place where the people closest to me didn't have the least amount of respect for me. And if if that's where you're at or if if you have some hidden issues in your life, we want to pray. Secondly, you know, my second point, I talked about the, the need for consistency of pursuing habits and practices that that draws closer to God. And, and so maybe you're someone today that you, as you examine your life, you would say, I, I, I have pulled away from some of the habits and the practices that I know draw me close to God. I've pulled away from, from prayer. I've pulled away from reading my Bible. I've pulled away from community. And I, I would love to, to have one of our, our leaders just pray that, that God would help you to get back on the right course. So that six months from now, six years from now, you're passing tests because of the work that you're putting in right now and establishing consistent, healthy patterns in your life. And then lastly, I would love to pray for those of you who would say, I feel like there's a high-cost call on my life right now. I feel like God is asking me to step into something that just feels difficult or feels like it's gonna take a lot of surrender or that just feels if I'm honest, really scary to me, really outside my comfort zone. And if that's where you're at, we want to pray that God would give you courage and give you hope and give you the strength that you need to to say yes to that high cost call. And so if any of those groups, if any of those groups connect with you, we want to pray, or if you want prayer for anything, we would love to pray for you today. And so we're going to worship with one last song, and I invite you now, as we start this song, to to begin coming forward, that you might receive.